little bit of a, uh, a quiz, I guess. If you were going to uh, show somebody, if you were going to tell somebody uh, that Jesus understood that all of the Old Testament was about him, where would you, where would you go? What passage would you take? That's, that's Genesis, but I'm talking about when Jesus said that all of this is written about me. Yeah, and I can think of the scripture. I just can't think of the address. I know. Yeah, in, in John 1, that's true. John 1, I think you're saying. Where does Jesus say, pretty much, it's all written about me? I think it's in Matthew, but I don't know. If you had been studying, yeah. All right, think, think, think. Uh, with me, when does at what point does Jesus tell his disciples this? After his resurrection. After his resurrection, that should help you in knowing where you would find it, right? So if it's after his resurrection, where might you be looking to find it? The end of one of the gospels. The end of one of the gospels. Absolutely, that's what I was looking for. And so, uh, so you can go to the end of the, the four Gospels and say, well, one of these is going to show it to me, right? The last chapter in the book of Luke is chapter 24. That is, it is there where Jesus finds his disciples on the road to Emmaus, yeah. right? And on the road to Emmaus, um, they're, they're, they don't recognize him at first, and they are telling him about all these things that have happened and uh, Jerusalem, and uh, you know Jesus, who they thought was the Messiah, was crucified. He's dead, and he was buried. And then the women had gone to the tomb that morning. They'd found it empty, and there's just some strange things occurring, and they were confused. And 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 we read there in Luke chapter 24 that starting with Moses and going through all the prophets, in other words, he took them through the whole Old Testament. Maybe not in a whole lot of detail, but he takes them through all the, the Old Testament. And he shows them how everything that happened to him had to have happened in order to fulfill what was written back then, remember? And then a little bit later on, in that same chapter, he, he goes to his disciples in, in, a, in a, uh, another room, and he tells them sort of the same thing. You could also talk about the passage in John, and I can't remember. Oh, I think it's John 8. could be wrong. Um, where um, Jesus is talking to the religious leaders yeah, and the they are uh, talking about that their father was Abraham and he's saying, well, Abraham saw my day and rejoiced to see it, right? And, um, and so even there, Jesus is saying, you know what? Before Abraham was, I am. And they take up stones to stone. We've, uh, we see in the, uh, and, and then, and then you, we think of the Apostle Paul writing to the Corinthians, and he says, you know, um, talking about the Jews, he said they read the uh, Old Testament Scripture without uh, understanding the light of the New Testament and the light of, 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 of the fact that the Messiah has come. And he says when they read it, what's it like for them? When they're reading the Old Testament without the light of Christ. It's like reading it with the veil on. It's like reading it with the veil over their face. They're not understanding it. So even Paul says, you know what? 
works in the Old Testament. The author of Hebrews does it a whole bunch, doesn't he? He takes you through a whole bunch of the Old Testament and shows us how uh, all of this really is pointing to Christ. The reality has come. Uh, why, why would you ever think about going back to the promise when the reality has already come? And so we, we see that. And so over these last few Sunday nights, we've been looking at ways that we can kind of see uh, Christ in the in the Old Testament. Certainly, as Ron was mentioning earlier, we see him in uh, in creation. Um, it's interesting, almost the same the same few words beginning uh, Genesis and beginning the Gospel of John, right? In the beginning, and uh, even in the Gospel of John, he, in John chapter one, he talks about Christ uh, being the one. Who, through whom God made everything in creation. So we see him in creation. We certainly have seen Christ in the fall and in the first promise of the coming Christ after the fall and the curse given to Satan. I will, uh, you will strike his heel and he will crush your head. We look for the coming. We remember man and woman being naked and ashamed and they tried to cover themselves with fig leaves and God instead takes the animals and covers him with animal skins, looking forward to the permanent covering that will come in Christ. Uh, we, we saw the life of Abraham and Isaac and uh, how that foreshadowed the coming of, of Jesus when uh, Abraham's told to take your son, your one son that you truly love, and, and sacrifice him. And, and Abraham tells Isaac, the, the Lord will provide. And the Lord's this place is called the Lord will provide. Um, we, we have seen it with Joshua as the one who would lead the people into the promised land and how um, some of what we looked at last time was where in the Genesis uh, when he created man in his image and told him to uh, go out and be fruitful and multiply and rule and subdue the earth so the whole earth would be an appropriate place for the, for the worship of God. And when they fall, it kind of restarts that with the people coming back to the promised land. We looked at it geographically, it seems, especially from the description of the land in uh, Genesis, the early chapters, and then the description of the land where Joshua was coming into it. You see a lot of the same uh, uh, boundary markers that, that are there. Seems to be the same place. And then when the, the nation of Israel is, doesn't fulfill that... Uh, that uh, Commission to basically take the good news of God into all the world. They want to hold it to themselves and think that that's all it's about, and it never was. So God kicks it off again, and uh, and uh, <clears throat> there in the, the Great Commission in the New Testament, Matthew 28 and, and Acts chapter 1, verse 8, and to see that it starts there in Jerusalem, then he goes to all Judea and Samaria, and then to the other most parts of the earth, and we see that. The commission to rule and subdue, be fruitful, multiply, rule and subdue, is God's image going into all the world, making it a, making it a place uh, for God's uh, kingdom. It's truly uh, finally fulfilled, uh, coming from the same basic geographic place, uh, going into all the world in the Great Commission. So, I saw that tonight. We're going to, uh, we're going to look at a. Uh, a chapter is probably the, the, the most well-known in all of Scripture. And uh, you could probably, most of us could quote it, right? And uh, uh, the 23rd Psalm. 
so if you would to turn there. As you're turning there, who wrote the 23rd Psalm? You know? David. David wrote the 23rd Psalm. Now you remember when uh, Samuel was told to go to the house of Jesse and anoint the one who's going to be the coming king. He's, he's, uh, he's rejected Saul. And so there's going to be another king, and he's to go to the house of Jesse. And uh, he goes to the house of Jesse. Jesse has several sons, and he parades the first one out there. And, and Samuel's looking at him and goes, this is a great one. This is the one. And the Lord says, no. And he parades all these sons. And the Lord has to tell Samuel, man looks on the outside, but, but God looks hard, right? And um, finally... Um, Samuel asked Jesse, are, are these all your sons? He says, well, I, I have one more, a little David. He's out tending the sheep, right? Doing the role of the shepherd. So he says, bring him in. And, and this is the one that God is going to anoint as the next king. So David is very well of the role of, of being a shepherd and what that's all about. And so he writes this, this shepherd psalm, a Psalm 23. And a beautiful psalm, and I think it's truly does uh, point us to Jesus, and I want us to see some of that tonight. So, the 23rd Psalm, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the quiet waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear, fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love, mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David, who has spent time being a shepherd, he knows what the responsibilities of the shepherd were. And he, as he wrote this down, these are about... Uh, things that he has already experienced and he's gone through. And so he's able to say uh, these things about uh, being a shepherd. That's an amazing thing here. He says, the Lord, he uses those all capital letters there, <coughs> Yahweh, the, the creator of all of the universe. The responsibility of the lowest, uh, youngest of the sons was to be the one who would be out being a shepherd. Not a very glorious thing you might think, but he says, the Lord is the one who is my shepherd, the creator of all heaven and earth is my uh, shepherd. He himself will take this responsibility of leading me as his sheep. And uh, Psalm 23, there are several, uh, uh, we can see several necessary pro uh, provisions that the shepherd is going to make along the way. Uh, it is um, a uh, psalm on a destination, and we, we're going to see provisions uh, all along the way that the shepherd will make for the for the sheep. And as we look at that, I want us to uh, consider the fact that uh, Jesus is our shepherd. As Jesus says in John chapter 10, I am the good shepherd. And we're going to see some of those things in together here as we look at the Psalm 23. First of all, uh, he says, the, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And then uh, he begins talking about the things he's not going to want for. And the first thing he says, he, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. Um, 
several years ago. This was before um, I even came to, to Texas. I was still in Florida, and, and my best friend out there in Florida is named Gary. And he and his brothers, uh, two brothers, and, and I went on a backpacking trip in Colorado. And it was supposed to be a five-day five trip. It uh, wound up being a three-day trip because of the weather. It just started pouring on us while we were out there, so we decided to cut it short. But <clears throat> here we were, a novice, from sea level to uh, we. I think the the highest we we uh, were hiking at that time was over thirteen thousand feet. If you've ever been at 10,000 feet, you are breathing 80% of the oxygen that you breathe at sea level. So you're working in a 20% deprivation. The higher you go, the worse it gets. Here we are, these flatlanders out there without, uh, without oxygen. Uh, excuse me, 10,000 feet is 60% of sea level. So, written down. so you're, you're dealing with 40% deprivation. Being novice as we were, um, and our guide wasn't with us when we went to the store to buy our food for the trip, we were buying stuff like we were gonna, we were really gonna feast up here on this mountain. So we're buying all this stuff to get it put out, and so we eventually have to divide it all up to put it in our packs, in our backpacks. Your backpack's supposed to be, oh, not more than 40 pounds. We figured that our backpacks were each one 60 to 70 pounds. And we're dealing with 40% oxygen deprivation with 60, 70 pound backs on our, on our back. The guy who was guiding us was used to it. He took off, we, you'd see him, and, and you get in places up there where you know it's barren of trees, and so you can see people a long way off. Well, you see him on another hill, and it seems like it's five miles over there, and we have to go. Um, my buddy Gary, um, his brother had a brother-in-law that was up there with us, and he was—he was from. He lived in Colorado, but he was like in the worst shape of any of us, and we were awfully glad that way we wouldn't be the last one. <laughs> but um, um, Gary, I guess, was was not taking it quite as well as I was, and the guy who was leading us got to the place where we were going to camp. Must have been several miles ahead of us. Put his pack down, came back got Gary's pack <laughs> to take his pack and go on up there with it. Uh, my pride wouldn't let that happen to me, but uh, <laughs> when we got to that first that first night, we got to the place where we were going, and we were so tired. I did, I've, I've run marathons, and I don't think I've ever been as tired as I was then. I mean, the marathon didn't wear me out nearly as much as this, this hike did. We got there, and... Um, they started setting up, you know, building the fire to, to cook supper on and stuff. I didn't care about eating. I didn't care about chatting. I didn't care about uh, uh, sitting up or anything. I didn't really care about putting up a tent or my sleeping bag or anything else. I just wanted to lay down on the ground and die. <laughs> Mostly, I guess, I just wanted to rest, and I needed to rest. Um, here is uh, that the Lord uh, gives rest. Makes me lie down in green. Uh, it makes me lie down in green pastures and leads me beside the quiet waters. First thing we see here is that the shepherd comes and he brings rest to his people in times of great need. And we find 
in the New Testament, an amazing thing, it, it's, it's not what Jesus said in John chapter 10, but in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. You probably know this verse. Jesus comes and he says, Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Right? Jesus is the good shepherd comes uh, giving us rest, even as, even as uh, David writes about this as being a, a primary responsibility of a shepherd to come and to give his sheep rest. Secondly, I want you to note is the fact that the shepherd gives guidance. Um, verse 2, he, he leads me beside the quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He is a, he's leading and he's guiding uh, always. It's interesting. For, I'm going to read to you a little bit from James Boyce here. Shepherd's leading the sheep, right? He says, the sheep are stupid creatures. In fact, they're probably the most stupid animal on earth. One aspect of their stupidity... I, I just got a bad thought in my head that the sheep are Democrats. Anyway. Um, <laughs> well. Sorry, I uh, didn't mean to get political. One aspect of their stupidity is seen by the fact that they so easily wander away. They can have a good shepherd who has brought them to the best grazing lands uh, near an abundant supply of water. Still, they will wander away over a hill to where the fields are barren and the water undrinkable. For again, they are creatures of habit. Uh, they, have, uh, uh, they can have good grazing uh, lands due to the diligence of the shepherd. But then having found it, they will continue to graze upon it until every blade of grass and even every root is eaten, the field ruined and themselves impoverished. This has actually happened to the sheep and, uh, and the land they graze upon in many parts of the world, Spain, Greece, Mesopotamia, North Africa, parts of the Western United States, and New Zealand. No other class of livestock requires more careful handling in more detailed directions than do sheep. Therefore, a shepherd who is able to give good guidance is essential for their welfare. He will move the sheep from field to field before deterioration sets in. And he will always stay near water. He will chase strays. He will plan the grazing to fit the seasons of the year. In the same way, we too need a good shepherd who, uh, who we do not uh, we do not like guidance if we will but have it and uh, so it, it is no wonder that we find in scripture quite often uh, christians being referred to as his sheep right mm -hmm. I, I i jokingly said democrats but really it's it's us isn't it we're the ones who wander away and, and put ourselves in uh, in, in danger mm -hmm. um, but he is the one who uh, guides us um, and keeps us from going into those uh, dangerous places. Sheep have no natural defenses. Uh, when I worked in Florida in a Christian high school, I was jokingly uh, mentioned to the kids one day when we were talking about the whole metaphor of sheep and shepherd, and us being the sheep, and I said, uh, did, did you read the story about the guy up in northern Florida whose sheep attacked him and ripped off his arm? And they go, 
no, I didn't hear about that. Well, it didn't happen, that's the reason. <laughs> you didn't hear about it. Sheep don't do that. They're not that kind of uh, animals, and they have no natural defenses. They must have a shepherd to guide them and keep them. Um, we're told in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, that we're to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, right? The author and perfecter of our faith. He is the good shepherd who will continue to lead us where we need to be and guide us away from all harm, which leads us to a third thing that we see about the shepherd and what he gives to the sheep. He gives us um, not only rest and guidance, but he gives us safety. Um, says it in, in, uh, in verse 4 here, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Um, what are the rod and the staff there for? <laughs> well, certainly the rod is there to beat off uh, the enemies, the natural enemies that the sheep would have. David certainly understood about this in his own experience. You remember in uh, 1 Samuel 17, uh, David comes out to see what's going on with the battle against the Philistines, and he hears this one big guy over there cursing the God of the Israelites and cursing the Israelites and challenging them to a uh, to a one-on-one -on -one battle. And um, verse 32, so uh, uh, David said to Saul. Let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go out and fight him. Saul replied, You are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a boy. And he has been a fighting man from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. Um, when it turned on me, I seized it by the hair and struck it and killed it. Can you imagine? <clears throat> I can't, can't much imagine that, but th this is what David was, was able to do in understanding that God would, would uh, protect and, and save him in the midst of, of times like this. When, uh, <clears throat> when the shepherd would lead the sheep from the uh, valleys to the highlands, they would often have to go through these valleys where predators could be. And, uh, you know, where there would be lions or bears or even, um, um, you know, bandits along the way who would to try to steal their, their sheep and stuff. And so the shepherd would have to be the one to provide the safety for them. And if the sheep were close enough and going along with him, they wouldn't have to fear those things. All they would have to say is, I just got to keep my eyes on that shepherd. He's got the, uh, he's, he's got the rod and the staff and he can beat them off. If he, if he needs to. Well, this is certainly was in the experience of, um, it certainly was in the experience of David. Uh, so he <coughs> that there is safety in being close to the shepherd. And what does Jesus say about what a good shepherd does in John chapter 10? The shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. He's there to provide for them the safety that they need. He's the one who will give his life for theirs. And so we can see uh, even Jesus leading through the valley of the shadow of death. And um, I, when I do funerals, uh, typically this will be the passage that I'll use at the, at the graveside. 
And I always mention the fact that, uh, especially here, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Well, the, the shepherd can only lead the sheep where he knows where he's going, and he can only really know where he's going if he's already been there by himself. And so it's interesting that chapter 22, Psalm 22, comes right before Psalm 23. Psalm 22 begins with these words, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? Where, where do we hear these words? In the New Testament. Christ on the cross, and he's dying. He's going through the valley of the shadow of death. He knows what it's like, and he comes out the other side famously. And he is the one who, because of this, can, can take us through, safely through, the valley of the shadow of death. As we depend on him and, and keep our eyes fixed on him, we can go through without fearing the evil that is there. And so we see the, uh, the shepherd providing rest and guidance and safety. Um, he goes on, verse 5 here. What else does he provide? Well, verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Uh, a meal in the presence of his enemies. Um, you can eat in peace even maybe surrounded by the enemies and they're watching you but you can sit down and eat in peace knowing that of the one who is protecting you and he is the one giving you provisions that are necessary he speaks here of the oil over his head and his cup overflows so the cup <coughs> overflowing with wine is, is what is indicated here uh, oil is a basic necessity uh, and wine's basic necessity of provisions in the ancient Near East. A very dry climate. Uh, people be out and their skin would get dry and, and crack and in need of oil. Uh, we found that Colorado's climate's a lot drier than here. You, you, you can't really make it up here a week without chapstick. <laughs> so you gotta have chapstick to put it on all the time. Well, this is, the ancient Near East is drier than this. And the, and the people being out and wandering through the desert ways and stuff, they would, they would put oil over their, their head and on their faces and, to, and in, on their hands and stuff to avoid the, uh, uh, the dryness and the, crack, and the cracking that was there. And so it would be a, 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 a provision that if you were going to visit someone there, you would expect that to be one of the first things that would be provided for you is an oil to pour over your head and to and to try to relieve the, the dryness from the climate that was there. Wine is also an, uh, a, a kind of an essential uh, necessity in that part of the world, wine to quench the thirst, but not only to quench the thirst, but to make one uh, merry with a friend. And uh, so uh, he was saying, this is what you're providing for me, the things that are just kind of expected of you in the, near e in the uh, ancient Near East. And, and the Lord is my shepherd, is the one who is providing these things for me. Um, I don't know that we should make too much of it, but in, in Mark chapter 8, um, Mark chapter 8, um, I want us to see uh, 1 through, through 21, but. 
during, during those days, another large crowd gathered, and since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples uh, to him and said, I have compassion on these people, for they, are, they have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. Yeah. If I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way because some of them have come a long distance. His disciples answered, But where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. So they replied. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground. And when he had taken the seven loaves and given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. And they did so. And they had a few a small fish as well. And he gave thanks for them also and told the disciples to distribute them. The people ate and were satisfied, and afterwards the disciples picked up seven basketful of broken pieces that were left over. About 4,000 men were present, and having sent them away, <coughs> he got into a boat with his disciples and went to uh, the region of uh, Demantia. Excuse me. Uh, anyway, uh, the Pharisees came to him asking him a question to test him. They asked him for a sign from heaven. He sighed deeply and said, Why does this generation ask for a miraculous sign? I tell you the truth, no sign shall be given to you. Then he left them and got back in the boat and crossed on the other side. Is Jesus able to provide? Does he provide? Did he as a good shepherd provide for his sheep here? In, in a physical sort of way, yes, he, he did. It was an amazing thing. And then verse 14, Then the disciples, uh, the disciples had forgotten to bring bread except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. And they discussed this with one another and said, It's because we have no bread. <laughs> aware, aware of their discussion, Jesus asked him, Why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts so hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000? Uh, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Twelve, they replied. And then I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000. How many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? They answered seven. He said to them, you still not understand. Uh, Jesus is certainly able to provide um, for uh, us in all the ways that we, we need it provide not only in providing the physical bread but the bread from heaven to fill us and, and all that we uh, have need of Jesus certainly does that and fifthly and finally um, I want you to notice that the, the provision of the shepherd and a good shepherd as Jesus is that he provides for us rest, safety, guidance uh, it'd be rest, guidance, safety Visions and finally a home uh, where we see verse 6 surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever and finally meet their final destination here uh, the great promise of all of God's pre of, of all of scripture is God's presence remember that's what Adam and Eve lost in the garden the presence of God but he has made provision so that we can have it again and he comes, as you recall, he comes to Moses um, and in the burning bush and says, don't worry, Moses, I'll be with you. Moses dies. He has the next, uh, next great leader of the people, Joshua, 
And he tells him, now you take all these people and go take possession of the land I'm giving you. And how does he encourage him? He says, be strong and courageous and do not worry. I'm with you. Right? And we see that several times there in, in Joshua chapter 1. And then we're reminded again last week where um, Jesus and at the Great Commission in Matthew 28, verse 20, He's giving him the commission to go into all the world and preach the gospel. He says, Lo, I'm, I'm with you always. I'm with you. My presence will be there. But there is still a, a presence and a final uh, fulfillment of the promise of being in the Lord's house and dwelling with him forever. And it's still to come. We have his presence right now. And the, and the person of the Holy Spirit, Jesus tells his disciples, I'll, I'll never leave you or forsake you. I'm not going to leave you alone. Is orphans or anything, but then he says, you know, I'm going to come back and take you to be with me, that where I am there, you can be also, and uh, and then we, we see it happening uh, in Revelation 21, after the Lord uh, comes back, and John sees a new heaven and the, a new earth, first heaven and first earth, it passed away, there's no longer any sea, so the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven for God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God um, there it is starts very early on in God's covenant promise continually to his people I will be your God and you will be my people and where I am there you will be and, and so on and uh, finally, the ultimate fulfillment comes, the return of Christ. You see in, in Revelation 21, and that we're forever, for eternity together with him. This is what Abraham was looking forward to, and this is what we look forward to as well. This is what our good shepherd leads us ultimately to, dwelling in the house of the Lord forever. And so I think it's just an interesting thing here to see as the good shepherd. Uh, Jesus is the good shepherd fulfilling the role of the shepherd that we see uh, here in, uh, in Matthew 23. Jesus is the Lord, the good shepherd, uh, fulfilling the role of giving us uh, rest and guidance and safety and provisions. And finally, ultimately, a, an eternal home together with him forever. All right. In church, it almost went away. They don't make all of it. In many of this Bible description, they'll say, I shall dwell in the house for many years. Yeah. Or I shall live, when I die, I'll go to heaven to be with God. And that's for a long season. But there's an end to a long season. There's no end for many years. There's no end to forever. That's true. Yep. Gives us eternal life, right? All right. And he will rule forever too, right? All right. Let me pray.